0: It's lit! We're all things literary. Live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Roots editor in chief, here with the managing editor of The Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hello, everybody. Today, we're speaking with an incredibly accomplished guest, Salamisha Tillett. In addition to being an author, Salamisha is also a professor at Rutgers University, a contributing critic at large for The New York Times, and is the co founder of A Long Walk Home which is an organization focused on empowering young artists and activists to end violence against all girls and women. Salamisha joined us recently to talk about her latest book, In Search of the Color Purple, which is a deep dive into the history of Alice Walker's famous novel, as well as an examination of the cultural response to the book and the movie and the musical that followed.
1: Yeah, you know, this, I, I cannot tell you. I was so looking forward to this episode and this conversation because, you know, first of all, is it just me or does it seem like everybody who comes on It's Lit says
0: that The Color Purple is like their favorite book? I mean, like, it's definitely in the top 10, probably one or two. Right? At this point.
1: Like, it's like one of the top books that people cite when we ask them for their favorite book. Um, and Salamisha, as you just noted, has done such tremendous work. In a space that I think The Color Purple created for us to start having those discussions in the Black community. And we have a long way to go with those discussions. And she's helping that. She and her sister, Scheherazade, are helping that with A Long Walk Home. But I, I do think that the way that it dovetails here, and Scheherazade, it was also part of the the making of this book. The way it dovetails here is so beautiful. And and uh, I think my affinity for Alice Walker is well documented on the podcast, so I'll just leave
0: it there. definitely definitely but it's like what was interesting for me was rehashing all the the controversy that surrounded Mm. the book and subsequently the film when they both came out because so much of that i feel like has been lost to time like the book has just become so much part of just like black culture and our vernacular and popular culture and the way that we speak about things
1: It's it's you're right. We can all cite like Sophia's speech or like, you know, have these little one liners. But we do forget very much about that controversy. And to your point, while the controversy itself has been lost to time, the actual dynamics have not. And we've seen that again and again, you know, in these instances when Black women want to talk about, you know, sexual violence in our communities. How they get shut down, how they become invisible, how you know, like it's so I think there's an interesting conversation there as well. And and I was really excited to have that with Salamisha.
0: Definitely. Well, I can't wait to share this conversation with our listeners. So I think we should dive right in. Let's do it. Salamisha! Welcome to It's Lit! Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're excited to have you, because we have long admired your work. Thank you. And your latest book is truly a gift. (laughs) But first, since It's Lit is a podcast about Black books and writers, we like to start every episode by asking our guests to name at least one book, Mm -hmm. and you can't name the one that you wrote about, (laughs) but name at least one book that is (laughs) life-affirming, life-altering, life-changing mind-blowing that what was that book for you other than the book that you obviously chose to write about
1: (laughs) i mean
2: it's another cliche but it's true um tony morrison's beloved and i think you are able to see my bookshelf and so this is a first edition of her beloved and then i have a first edition of the color purple uh, oh right here as well so but morrison's beloved um My first book is called Sites of Slavery, and I looked at how contemporary African-American writers and artists remembered slavery in their works, and Beloved was like the shadow text for me, but it also was a book that I read in an undergrad, and I think I was really curious about her books about how slavery is the thing that haunts Black people, and I really became interested in how Black people try to confront that haunting. Mm. Um, in in their works. And so there's a relationship, I think, between, you know, Beloved and The Color Purple for me quite, mm-hmm. um, it's very easy and seamless in some ways for me because they're haunting and healing. And I was a sexual assault survivor, but at the time I was reading Beloved, I also was in therapy and dealing with flashbacks and nightmares in a real visceral way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Beloved is it really
0: important?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's for, for many people, I love you know, uh, but for me, it's really special as well.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense. So I think it you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's a natural fit when you, if the fact that you're attracted to both the color purple and um, yeah. beloved, it makes a lot of sense. But speaking of the color purple, since we, you know, launched this podcast and we've asked this question, you know, to every author and journalist we've had on about what book, Change their lives, and without a doubt, mm. the color purple has been the most common answer. Mm-hmm. Whether we're Are you serious? Yes. Followed oh, by beloved. Wow. Oh. And the blue oh, sky. Yeah, and the so blue sky. Like, oh, okay. Followed by yes. but
1: it's always the color purple
0: first. It's
2: always the color <laughs> oh. purple.
0: Always.
2: That's so fascinating. And, I didn't know that. That's
0: so exciting yeah, to hear. It's like whether we're speaking to brit Bennett or Michelle buteau Ijima mm. Lu or Alice Randall, who recently told us she reads it annually. Mm-hmm. Oh. This is a book. This is, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, wow, it's the book. That's so good to know. <laughs> this is a book that not only captured the American imagination, but is so deeply ingrained in the lives of generations of Black women and femmes, which is why mm. your book, In Search of the Color Purple, The Story of an American Masterpiece, is so welcome. How did this journey begin for you? and how did you approach Walker to gain this level of access?
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, the journey was, I always feel like I wish I had some really fancy story, Um, but it was really quite practical. I'm currently working on a book on Nina Simone, (laughs) and I was having uh, quite a difficult time figuring out the language of that project. Because as I said, my first book was Sites of Slavery. And it's a really, it's an academic book. And transitioning to this kind of writing was prompted by my desire to write a book on Nina Simone and have lots of people be able to read it to make it accessible. And as I'm going through this process, and it took two years to, to, to finish the proposal on Nina Simone, Abrams Books, which my book is published with Abrams, uh, there was a new editor there named Jameson Stoltz, and he was starting a new series called Writers on Writers, right? And so, um, in that series, like 1984, these, these big classics and the color purple was one of the things on his list. And so he pitched it to my editor, who is Tanya McKinnon. Yeah. who You probably have yes. many of her clients. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. so she if may or not, may not be our on.
1: agent too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! Oh oh yeah! She is. I know she is. Oh, I forgot. Yes. So yes, she Shout is.
0: Shout out to Tanya Buchanan. Um, Tanya. Yes. yes.
2: I forgot that. I forgot that. So Tanya. Um. So I have a writer for the color purple, and then she asked me about it, and it was so quick. I was like, oh yeah, I know that book. I know who I was when I first read that mm-hmm. book. I know the story of the book. I've taught the book. And so I was able to write the proposal in a month. So you have two years writing a Nina Simone proposal and a month writing the Color Purple proposal. And so that's kind of how it came to me. And what's been beautiful is being able to write about a writer who has such a rich archive. Through osmosis, I was able to become a better writer myself, Mm. right? Just reading her work and reading her writing on her tale or her journey in the Color Purple, through the Color Purple, after the Color Purple really helped shape my relationship to language differently. So that was the first question, how I how it got to the project. The second question was...
1: Well, how did you gain this kind of access to her?
2: Yes. Oh, the access. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, we're, we're all journalists. Walker ain't just journalist. having audiences
1: with everybody now. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I, talking to journalists, you'll be able to appreciate this story. Um, so I'm close to Gloria Steinem, who writes the foreword for the book, and Beverly Guy-Sheftal, who writes the afterword. And so they primed and prepped her for for me to um, interview her. And then the other person I would like to say is Valerie Boyd, who I got to know through this process. So Valerie Boyd is well-known for writing the magnificent Zora Neale Hurston biography, but she's also currently working on uh, Alice Walker's journal. Mm. So Alice Walker's been keeping a journal from age 18 to 75. And so Valerie is the editor of this journal's, and they're going to come out. So the three of them had been, you know, warming Alice up to me and all of this stuff. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this interview that way. So Alice Walker had a book of poetry that was coming out two years ago, right? And I was like, I think she'll probably need press for this poetry collection that's coming out. And so that's how I pitched it. I actually did an interview with her for New York Review of Books. And so I did a two-day interview with her. Um, I traveled with my sister, to her hometown in Northern California called Philo, which is a very, very, very small town of people. And she lives, as I say in the book, on 40 acres of land. Mm-hmm. She lives at the top of a, of a hillish mountain kind of thing. So that's how I got access to her. One, it was through these relationships with these feminists, but also through just my own diligence and wanting to, to get this interview. Now, the interview changes the course of the book, though. Of course, if you have an interview with an author, who's alive, whose work means so much to you, uh, versus me suspecting how she felt or trying right. to do the archival research, it changes. So it, it was... And then Oprah then, I had to, it's almost like you have to get permission from Alice, and then you get access to
1: everyone else. Yes. So
2: that's also quite an interesting process unto itself. I mean, because
1: yes, I mean the Oprah aspect. Like <laughs> For those <laughs> who haven't read the book yet, right? Like, we're talking, you interviewed Alice, you've got Gloria Steinem's voice in here, you've got oprah's voice in here i mean it's 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 an event
2: (laughs) you know which the color yeah the book was right when it came out so
0: no and it's a fascinating (laughs) journey just the hearing your story just as a writer as a journalist you know the the lengths that you have to go through to get to your subject but then all the doors that open once you finally get there like that's just you know it's Mm -hmm. an amazing story so yeah This book is really a deep dive into not only the creation of a Pulitzer Prize-winning book, an Oscar-nominated film, and a Tony Award-winning Broadway musical, but the sociocultural landscape that framed both. Understanding Mm. that you're an academic and an activist as well as an author, how do you hope that the greater context of In Search of the Color Purple will deepen our understanding of what Walker accomplished?
2: Well, I guess one of the hopes I have for this book. We're in this moment in which Black women are being celebrated and recognized in unprecedented ways. And so we are all part of ushering in that moment. We're also, in some ways, able to be seen differently because of this moment. But these moments don't come by chance, and they don't come because people haven't worked really hard to create them. So on one hand, I would like people to understand the 80s is the, probably the, the most similar to our period, right? There were, there's a blossoming of Black women culturally and artistically, and there was a recognition of their efforts. I talked about Toni Morrison, but we could also include Audre Lorde in that, as well as uh, Ntasaki Shange and of course Alice Walker and many others. And so I, I want us to understand our, our present. We are the children. We are the daughters of those authors and those activists and artists from the 1980s who were really having to explore what it means to be a Black woman in literature on, on stage. And so that's part of it. But also I think we're still wrestling with lots of the questions and concerns that this novel presented to them and then presents to us. We're in a moment of Me Too and Black Lives Matter, right? And so what The Color Purple can teach us in this moment is one, uh, what does it mean to recognize the the voices and experiences of Black girls and Black women who've experienced sexual assault? Two, how Black women work in community with others and how their healing also creates the possibility for others to heal. And then three, I guess, also would be a a deep recognition of the Black South and, and Georgia in particular and the ways in which Alice Walker really was trying to give us an understanding of how culturally rich her life was even as she grew up in segregation. And so part of the excitement for me with this book was actually being able to spend a lot of time in Georgia and Atlanta, in the archives at Emory, but in Eatonton, which is an hour away from Atlanta, and just understand the beauty that Alice Walker grew up in, in terms of the landscape, despite the poverty, the violence, and the racial brutality that she and her family had to navigate. So there's a lot of things, I guess, that I think this book can teach us today, but mostly... I'm just excited to think about a Black woman as an author of an American masterpiece. And that's still something that we, with the exception of Toni Morrison, we rarely look at Black women that way still.
1: You know, I love that you you brought up all those other names who, you know, again, so deeply influential for Black women writers to have our own kind of, you know, pantheon. Like, this is our canon. Mm. This is our pantheon, you know. And they were their own sisterhood. I mean, their own self-declared sisterhood of writers. And I also love that you talk about Eatonton because one of the things you do in In Search of the Color Purple is that you open, before we even get into all this incredible research you open with Walker's own family tree. And I love mm. this because, you know, you correlate, you know, for people who aren't familiar or who maybe forgot, you correlate her mother, her father, her grandparents to all these much-beloved characters in this seminal work, you know? And it's really effective because, you know, we're all, you know, as writers, you know, we're, ex- we're instructed to write what we know, but I think a lot of people seem to forget that, like, Walker didn't entirely construct the color purple out of thin air. Like, this was very much, I mean, the story was original, but it was inspired by people in her life. You know, Celie was her step-grandmother. Sophia was her mother. <laughs> you know, Suge was an actual person named Suge. And, and what it drove home for me is that, you know, when we think about the pushback that she got at the time, how resistant the world was and still is to allowing Black people and particularly Black women to honestly share our lived experiences, right? Let alone Mm. from a feminist viewpoint. As an educator and a writer, like how do you reckon with this persistent censorship of the Black female experience, especially as it relates to trauma?
2: Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that question. So, and you really explained why I included The Family Tree. One, because actually when I went into the project, I kind of knew that Albert Mister was based on her grandfather, but I actually didn't know that Nettie was an actual name of her grandmother, and Shug was an actual... Part. I didn't know any of that. And so I thought it was really important to show how a Walker's relationships to her family, um, both she's trying to fill in their mm-hmm. story, right? Like with the character Seeley, who's based on her her grandmother, Rachel, that she really wanted to give Rachel an ending that she didn't have in real life. And uh, that was one of the most poignant moments of my interview with Alice Walker, Who had claimed that she had nothing else to say about the color purple. (laughs) And then she starts crying. Like it was really moving to see her crying about Rachel's life. Right. And I was, and and then you're just like, you're just in a kind of a silence as you watch how important this figure of Seeley has become for so many people, but how intimate she was for, for Alice and the gift that Alice was trying to give her and therefore give us. So I think when you're talking about the controversy, this is also why I wanted to to share this work with people because we forget like well we weren't really part you know we, we're not the generation at all that were part of the people picketing and protesting against the color purple the movie we weren't the ones who were trying to get the book banned but we are in some ways aware of the ways in which black women's stories particularly when the assailant is an African American man like we we're the ones who who have watched Dream Hamptons experience with surviving R. Kelly, Mm -hmm. right? So we see that there is a significant pushback and fallout, but we're also able to be in a moment where Tarana Burke is recognized as the founder of Me Too. So that's what I mean by we're the the children of the color purple, because we're in this really unique moment in which the conversations are still hard to have, but they're not nearly as hard as they were in the 1980s. We're not being called traitors, even though people may still be invoking narratives of lynching, right, mm-hmm. when they're being said that they're uh, sexually assaulting Black women. So it's a new moment. But I want students and I want readers to really understand these battles that, again, when I was saying that we're in this moment where Black girls and Black women are being recognized on one hand, we're also in a moment where nine-year-old Black girls are being uh, handcuffed and pushed down to the ground. We're at a dire moment still. Some of us are being recognized and the vast majority of us are, are not being. We're still suffering in silence. So The Color Purple gives us a way to understand both of those things at once. The celebration of the novel being highly lauded and the pushback against the novel at the time. And really the movie uh, show how difficult it is to break these silences as a community.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, we are... The three of us are around the same age and like many mm-hmm. of our generation, like my first introduction to The Color Purple was the movie. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, my, my <laughs> too. I think that's true yeah. for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I remember it really yeah. clearly because my mom was a journalist and she sat me down beforehand because I was only like mm. nine or ten when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. she sat me down to have a conversation about what I was going to see. She had already seen it and she thought it was so important for me to see this film. But I read the book soon after, and it just, like, cracked my whole world open, and I was, like, totally devoted to Alice Walker. And fun fact, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I even chose my alma mater. I went to Sarah Lawrence because, partly because... Did you really? I did. <laughs> <laughs> partly because Alice Walker had gone there, and I wanted to be a writer, too, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's a good writer's school. It's a great it's writer a place school. It was go. between Sarah Lawrence and Spelman, and I loved New York, oh. so there you go. <laughs> you know, don't tell doctors. Wow. You <laughs> all that. Uh, but...
2: <laughs> no. She'd probably be like, I understand. I'll discuss
1: it with her. But but obviously I'm not alone because you note here that, you know, and you just noted as well that, you know, she birthed this generation of feminist writers and you say, for whom reading Sealy's letters was a fundamental rite of passage. But I worry sometimes in that canonizing of of Alice Walker, I'm I'm guilty of this, (laughs) that we've kind of flattened our understanding of her. And so how did this excavation of her work and her life, as well as her insecurities, which you also share... Uh, and kind of her foibles, her missteps, how did that help you hone in on her humanity?
2: Oh, uh, thank you for that question. Um, Going through this process, we read the book, and we kind of know about the controversy, and that's the beginning and end of our relationship to it, right, as readers or as viewers of the film. But to know that when the film is being done that Alice Walker feels like she's making a big personal sacrifice Mm -hmm. um, on one hand, right? That she's not spending time with her partner, Robert Allen, uh, that she's not with her daughter, Rebecca, or Rebecca's on the set, but she's not devoted to them the way that she promised that she would be after the book came out. So she feels a lot of guilt there. But then also just uh, understanding that her relationship with Robert was falling apart as this movie is being made, right? And that her own exploration of sexuality between Suge and Seeley on screen or in the novel are also part of her, her her own struggle. She doesn't she's struggling to understand her sexuality and whether or not her relationship can sustain that. Like can can as she's exploring her sexuality, she's trying to understand who she is. She's in a relationship in which Robert Allen ends up cheating on wow. her. He discloses to her and so there's a huge kind of internal struggle that she's having. At the same time that she has Lyme disease and her mother's dying, right? So all of that's going on as this movie is being made. So when the, when the movie comes out and it's such a backlash, you already have a highly vulnerable woman who then is being subject to misreadings and misunderstandings of her work. So I, I thought that was just really interesting as, uh, for me as a writer, I wanted to, understand what she was experiencing and feeling. Because now when we think of the color purple, it's the, the musical, like it's hard for us to to think that, you know, what was the controversy mm-hmm. or well, why didn't people like it? Because when we think about it in the way that most black people think about it right now, they just love the movie and they they quote Seeley's lines or they quote Sophia's mm-hmm. lines, you know, Kendrick Lamar, his song when he's like all my life I had to fight if for <laughs> Sophia's lines from the color purple to get to what was like one of the most important songs of the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, that's a huge trajectory that you wouldn't have suspected when people were trying to boycott the movie, right? So I wanted to give us a sense of the difficulty it takes for truth to travel through time. And by the time we get it, we just kind of are beneficiaries of it. But it doesn't happen easily, and it doesn't happen without people being sacrificed along the way.
0: I want to dig into though more about just the controversy that surrounded the book and the film um, at the time. Cause I remember a lot of it. I was a kid. I didn't understand what the big deal was because I'm (laughs) a child. So I didn't get the, like the big political ramifications of everything. You know, you just hear like, Oh, this is exposing some type of terrible trauma. It's bad about, you know, it's negative towards black men. And I when I saw the film, like, my mind was just blown like everyone else. So, you know, now that The Color Purple lives in the Black artistic pantheon as a classic, and as you mentioned, you know, Kendrick Lamar is quoting it and his songs, and, and, you know, we've forgotten all these controversies surrounding it. So, so many Black people didn't want it to exist because they dared to explore the brutality we sometimes visit upon each other. And you refer to the haunting of Black people by the trauma of slavery, But speaking about her work in general, Walker also talks about how difficult it is to, quote, look at, name, and speak up about violence in the Black community. And as editor-in-chief of The Root, that obviously resonated with me, so often we're encouraged to only tell one version of our experience, despite the fact that most violence, domestic or communal, occurs intra-racially, no matter the racial group. How do you interpret this persistent fear of, quote, airing out our dirty laundry and how do you feel it inhibits us
2: yeah i mean that was basically you got to the root of the controversy in the, in the 1980s in in which people like Louis farrakhan did a whole segment a whole not segment but i watched it on online but he did a whole lecture on why the color purple must go right and what's fascinating about farrakhan's speech is that he concedes incest it was the relationship between Suge and Seely mm-hmm. that he admonished, and also Steven Spielberg as uh, mm. as someone who was making the film. So these conversations were being, you know, happening amongst Black people. They've always been happening amongst Black people. But I think The Color Purple was so unabashed in its love of Sealy and the centering of the victim of sexual assault. So if you look at Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, you also have an incest scene there, but True Blood is a character who's kind of a folk hero. And then The Bluest Eye, a book that I read alongside The Color Purple, we still have a, it's still from the the father, um, from Charlie's uh, point of view. It's not from Pecola's point of view. So Walker dared to give no, like she didn't heed anything. She didn't give anything to Pa. And she doesn't really give much to Albert in the beginning. It's Celie's point of view, it's Celie's experience. And so we're so sympathetic to Seely, and she never breaks from that. So I think that alone is just like radical and, and revolutionary. And also it's really hard for all people, but and Black people, it's hard for us to kind of stay with the voice of a Black girl, mm-hmm. right? It's hard for us to listen to it and take it seriously. So that's one thing. The other thing I do think for me as an activist and as a rape survivor myself, I've always been interested in Black unity that is centered around love and centered around healing and centered around the voices of us that are the most marginalized. And so what I think the book threatened was a myth of Black unity that doesn't have a a feminist framework, or it says that Black women and Black girls or Black women and Black children are supposed to experience violence in some quest for racial justice, we're supposed to stay silent. And that's like not really freedom. That's like partial freedom or semi-freedom or not freedom, as opposed to when you get to the end of The Color Purple and there's this really loving community. It's like what we think of as a blended community now, right? It is accepting. Uh, Albert has made amends and he's returned to the community. Um, And that kind of uh, utopic ending, I feel like, is what I think of as Black unity. Mm. And so I want people to understand that we can have these conversations about sexual violence and domestic violence, and we can have them because we want people to be healed and we want them to be whole and we want Black people to be liberated. We don't want to be harming each other, and we don't want white supremacy to be determining what we can talk about or what we can fight or what we should be doing, how we should be treating each other. You know, cause I do this work a lot in so many different areas. I'm just like white supremacy. So it just screws with so many different ways. It, we can't even talk about sexual violence because of white supremacy, right? So there's, there's we can't be sexually liberated people because of white supremacy. So to, to defy white supremacy in my mind means that we should actually work through these issues and confront them head on. And the other thing I, I want to say, about these issues and the way that movie was received at the time. Most of the critics were African-American men, not exclusively, but, but many. But also I wanted to pay attention to Danny Glover and Quincy Jones, who were champions of this story and sacrificed a great deal, specifically Quincy Jones, to get this movie made. And I think they're kind of forgotten heroes in some ways in this story. And it was really fascinating for me to unearth and interview them about why this why Seely's story was so important to be told and why they went through such great lengths to tell it. And Glover talks about just imbuing Albert with a dignity that I think a lot of the critics either didn't want to see or they felt like him as a stereotype was just too big of an a, a, a albatross to kind of overcome.
0: So we can't really have a conversation about this book or even Walker's work without acknowledging how it dovetails with your own. And you and your sister, Shaherazad founded A Long Walk Home, an organization for survivors of sexual violence. You credit Walker with not only helping you find your own vehicle for healing from sexual assault, but inspiring you and others like our friend, Tarana Burke, to create more spaces for healing. For those Mm. who are unfamiliar, can you explain the mission of A Long Walk Home and how you consider an extension of this Black feminist creative legacy.
2: Thank you. Yeah, Zad and I founded uh, Long Work Home in 2003. It's an art organization that uh, empowers young people to end violence against girls and women. Our specific focus is on uh, girls of color and Black girls and young women who are artists, right? Who are artists in their schools and their communities. And they are tackling and confronting issues of racial injustice and gender equity. So, but as a survivor, um, when I disclosed to my sister uh, in 1997 that I was a sexual assault survivor, she often talks about how difficult that moment was for her, and she just didn't know. She responded in, in silence in some ways. And then two years later, she was in a social documentary class, and, she, and I was actively healing, and she started photographing my journey to self. Um, so that in that way, that's like Celie's journey to self. And then there's my journey to self. Um, and then we created a long walk home. Um, there's a poem that I, I wrote that my sister found in my journal years, obviously many years ago. Uh, the night after I was, i was sexually assaulted twice in so my first year of college. And then a study. Oh, I was a study abroad program in Kenya. And the night I, the morning I walked home after my sexual assault in, in Kenya, I have this poem called The Walk Home. And it's a, a description of, Me trying to understand what had just happened to me. So our organization is a long walk home because we really are helping people not only seek justice and find community with others, but also what does that journey to oneself look like? And what does that journey to home look like? How can home be a safe space home, both as our physical homes and home as our nation? And so if you have seen the original version of Alice Walker's The Color Purple, there's a beautiful house on it. And so that inspires the cover of my book. So yeah, I think that A Long Walk Home is in many ways another kind of granddaughter of The Color Purple because we're working with young people, Black girls and young women who identify as feminists who are using art to speak their truths but also empower each other. Uh, The Color Purple, the novel is also a story of sisterhood and sisterhood extends beyond Nettie and Celie to this larger community of Sophia and also Sophia and Shug as also Squeak, right? They're all these people. And then Harpo and and Albert are part of that as well. So it's me and my sister kind of, obviously we have that sisterhood and Scheherazade was so instrumental to my healing, but then we also have founded an organization on that notion of sisterhood. And I think Black women we understand what sisterhood looks like when we do it well. We understand that it's not just a biological relationship, but it's a a, a political practice and a political practice that can literally create Georgia going blue, right? Yes. Like that's what Black sisterhood looks like, <laughs> that is and exactly so exactly what it
0: looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: so yeah, we I, we all are. We know what what it means to be a sister, so and how much of a compliment it is to call another Black
0: woman that as well. So definitely definitely so we're running out of time yes such an amazing conversation like obviously the you know the color purple is one of our favorite books so we could talk about this forever and your book is amazing yeah um but we have to ask before we go let you go how did alice walker respond to your book
2: oh oh my goodness sorry hold on let me get you i think this is it Well, she responded twice. So can I tell you both stories? (laughs) Sorry, podcast. I'm opening a package. (laughs) Listeners, dear listener. So she asked for the manuscript before the final version. And so this is it. Wow. And this is it without the... So this is the book without the... There's no tree on the cover. This Mm is a... um, And so she put a tree and she says, because God is everything of nature at least one tree because her god is the everything of nature at least one tree and so she says that um and then she gave me like feedback which were you like oh my god but she was really generous i mean some fact things like you know i I think i like got albert's name wrong in one section or something um there are little descriptions i must have i had about like what I assumed her tone was. And she was like, I don't know if that's true, Um, but she was really, really, really uh, a very generous and very disciplined reader. Cause this, I have to, I have to assume so much about her. So, so that was, that was one. That was like the first, you know, I was like really anxious too. And Valerie was very helpful in that process. Cause she knew that, cause as an academic, you don't like ever give your, like, or as a journalist, like we don't hand over our readings of, the things to the people so it's a very like vulnerable experience and i and i think vulnerable for her in some ways too so that was the first version and then when the book came out and um, she received it last month uh she sent me a really nice note from mexico she had received it right before she went to her house in mexico and she uh loved it i guess she read it twice She oh, of, wow. in one night i know she's a fast reader well, and as, <laughs> as you <laughs> indicate in your
1: as you indicate in the book apparently that second read that second viewing that second something is magical for for her so you know sometimes we need a minute to yes absorb you're right thank
2: you yes you're yes. So, so right with the, with the musical and the movie yeah, yeah thank you for that i hadn't thought of that yeah thank you <laughs> look at you you're reading my reading so
0: thank you <laughs> well salamisha it was so amazing having you on it's lit I know. Thank you. This was so good. I have to come back with Nina. Please bring Nina back back to us. Please. please. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much. Have a good afternoon and stay warm
0: wherever you are. (laughs) (laughs) You too. Thank you so much.
1: The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Myesha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan
0: Allen. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton
1: Danielle. And you can find me at Myesha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Myesha Kai on Instagram.
0: And before we go, we always like to talk a bit about what we're currently reading. Aisha, what are you reading these days? You
1: know, we were talking about The Color Purple, but one of the other uh, Alice Walker books that came up in this, well, not in this conversation, but in this book was The Third Life of Grange Copeland. And, you know, I don't think I really realized before Salamisha's interrogation of this book how much of Alice Walker's writings, you know, her early writings especially, were actually influenced by members of her own family, which, you know, really brings a whole other dimension to that old platitude, right? Which, you know, so I'm digging into that. (laughs) You know, I'm really interested in in that because I think of all of Alice Walker's poetry and and books that I'm so familiar with. That's one I really am at. So it, it got me into that. What are you reading these days, Danielle? You're always reading something great.
0: Oh, I am reading Venus Noir, Black Women and Colonial Fantasies in 19th Century France by Robin Mitchell. (laughs) Um, The book is fascinating. It's one part, an historical examination of, I believe it's just three, three different Black women in France during the the mid-1800s and France's response to these Black women. And it opens with Robin basically being allowed to see the molding or the, the cast they made of um God I'm blanking on her name. I feel so bad about it. They called her the Hot and hot Venus, which is Oh, insulting. Sarah Bartman. Sarah Bartman. Thank you for yes, reminding me. Yes,
1: yes. I've been reading about her lately myself. So, yes. so she's yes.
0: it's it's a very emotional journey, mm-hmm. um, where she gets to be in this room with basically this remnant of sarah bartman and Mm. it's it's emotional it's powerful it's overwhelming for her but it's reflective of just like how black women and our bodies have been used politically often to make the case for other people but not the case for ourselves wow and so it's a powerful book in that regard so i've been enjoying it a word. Although enjoy feels like not the right word, but it's you know, been fascinating. It's a fascinating read.
1: I'll just say you just dropped a word right there, so uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm
0: gonna have to get, cop that myself. <laughs> definitely, definitely check Robin's work out. She's great. Uh, she teases me quite a bit about how she can't be on the 100. So I feel that like, let me let me shout out this one. We girl. all tease you about that. <laughs> Like why can't I be on the route One Hundred? What do you mean I ain't done? I've done things. I'm, I'm still doing stuff. I'm still relevant. I'm like I, I write know, for the I root. Know. Exactly, exactly. And that's it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. In the meantime, keep it lit.